welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 28. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So this week, I've been playing Unavowed, and spoke to the creator, Dave Gilbert from Wadget Eye Games. In the news this week, Evo breaks a viewer record, Galarian Pokemon details are revealed, and Solos is coming to Apex Legends for a limited time. It's a jam-packed show, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. I'm good this week, having spent most of the time in London this week, which seems to be a less than regular occurrence these days. I'm either in Scotland, on work trips, or down south visiting family, so it's nice to be back here in London. With it being August, the game release schedule is pretty light, although it's probably a good thing as we build towards September, with many games coming out including Borderlands 3, Link's Awakening Remake, Monster Hunter World Iceborne, and the build-up to Destiny 2 Shadowkeep in early October. Oh, it's going such a good time, can't wait. I'm off on holiday for 10 days at the end of August, so heads up for that. I'll be away from the 30th of August until the 11th of September. So looking forward to a little bit of a holiday, but first up, let's look at what I've been playing this week. This week, I've been playing Unavowed, a point-and-click adventure game from Dave Gilbert and Wadget Eye Games. I've spoken to a number of people in the industry this year who make adventure games, but also you, the This Week in Video Games audience, and Unavowed kept coming up in conversation. So I finally got to spend some time with the game this week, and I'm really pleased I did. It's also the anniversary of Unavowed's release, so I reached out to Dave Gilbert, and he was kind enough to spend some time with me in conversation this week, where we talked about Unavowed, Wadget Eye Games, and his experience in the industry, and a little peek into what he plays in his spare time. It's a great conversation, and I've got the interview with Dave Gilbert and a review of Unavowed later on in the show. But first up this week, I've been playing a little game called Street Fighter 2. So this week, I rekindled my love for fighting games with an old friend, Rob, who's visiting from Germany. We spent many an hour playing Street Fighter 2 on the SNES during our years at university together, often playing Ryu vs Ken matches, which led to stalemates, fireball battles, and really even matches. I watched a bunch of Evo last weekend, including the Smash Finals, Street Fighter 5 Finals, and after that, I got in the mood for some old-school fighting games, Rob and I busted out the SNES classic when he came over. Talking of EVO, viewership went through the roof for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate during EVO 2019 last weekend. Approximately 270,000 concurrent viewers witnessed the Smash Ultimate Final between Tweak, who was Pokemon Trainer, and MK Leo, who was playing as Joker, with MK Leo coming out on top. During the event, a new Guilty Gear trailer was shown by Arc System Works, and that game is set for release sometime in 2020. There were also some hiccups during the event where Evo made a video of Solid Snake during the Tekken matches, leading some to believe that Solid Snake would be a new character in Tekken. 
Evo has since come out to clarify that he's not going to be a new character, and they said on Twitter, just to clear things up, the snake cameo video we showed during Tekken Finals was our little idea of a joke. It was not intended to imply a character reveal, and was done on our own, without consulting Bandai Namco. Sorry for any confusion. And there was a fantastic moment between Sonic Fox and Go One at the end of their finals in the Dragon Ball Fighter Z match, where Go One beat Sonic Fox. He then burst into tears, and the two ended up hugging and congratulating each other on a great match, and it was a great moment between these two awesome players. So, if you want to check out the Smash Finals or the Dragon Ball Fighter Z Finals, go over to thisweekinvideogames.com, search up EVO 2019 for those videos. I used to play a lot of Street Fighter 2, Mortal Kombat, and Killer Instinct when I was a kid in the 90s. Uh, first playing on arcades in Eastbourne and Brighton Pier, and then hanging out in arcades dotted around the south coast. This was before a time where home consoles were powerful enough to recreate the graphics that were found on arcade machines. Now, I used to play Street Fighter 2 a fair amount and competed in tournaments in Eastbourne in an underground arcade venue called Hacker's Alley, which I'm sure is long gone these days. We'd have rows of SNESs hooked up to about 20 TVs all in a line, and I remember getting through the first rounds with Chung Lee in a tournament when I was there. Really, really good times. So my old friend Rob came over this week and we had about 20 matches with various characters and it ended up to be about 13-8 to me in the end. Uh, so we're still pretty evenly matched after all this time and without us having played Street Fighter 2 for about 10 years. Rob managed to pull off an amazing finish with Zangief of all characters by hitting me with a jumping 360 spinning pile driver which was probably the highlight of the session. It did highlight to me how good it is to sit on a couch with your buddy and play video games. These days much of it's done online, which I've got nothing against at all, and shout out to my clan mates in Destiny 2, the helpful guardians. However, it was great to see Rob and sit there on the couch like no time had passed and get back into some Street Fighter 2. So really, really good times and a big shout out to Rob who's also the artist for This Week in Video Games. So Rob is the main graphic designer behind This Week in Video Games, so massive shout out to Rob and big thanks for all the work he's done. It's great to sit down uh, with you and play Street Fighter 2 again. And uh, great to see we're still so even after all these years. So I'm looking forward to the next time we sit down with some Street Fighter 2. So that's it for Street Fighter 2 this week. Next up, let's go over to my interview with Dave Gilbert from Wadget Eye Games, where we talked about Unavowed, his company and his experience in the games industry. Welcome back to This Week in Video Games, and I'm here with Dave Gilbert from Wadget Eye Games, and uh, we're here to talk about Unavowed, amongst other things. So welcome, Dave. Thank you for having me. I've spoken to a lot of people over the last uh, 12 months about adventure games, and Unavowed kept coming up, and so <laughs> I, I had to play it. And uh, I understand that um, it's about a year since Unavowed came out. Is that right? Almost to the day. It, it's... um. Right now, uh, I assume this will go up later, it's August 5th. It came out August 8th last year, so almost exactly one year ago. Oh, fantastic. Well, happy happy anniversary. <laughs> a year ago, if you had spoken to me exactly one year ago, I would have been feeling a lot more stressed out. <laughs> um, so could you, tell, um, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about Unavowed? Uh, sure. The elevator pitch is that it's, um, it starts with your exorcism. Uh, you've been possessed by a demon for a year, 
and while you were possessed, you did all sorts of naughty things, uh, really horrible things, actually. And um, the main goal of the game is that you have to, you, you join this supernatural investigatory, I guess that's the word, and supernatural investigation group called the Unavowed. And the goal is to try to find out what your demon did while you were possessed and fix it. So what was your inspiration behind Unavowed? Many, many, many things. Um, there's uh, two inspirations. One is like the gameplay aspect of it, and another is the story aspect of it. The gameplay, um, I was always very inspired and, and loved the um, the mid-era Bioware, I guess you could call it, um, like from the first Knights to the Old Republic to, I guess, the first Mass Effect, like before EA took over, the whole... Um, uh, definitely had a kind of a formula where you um, you created your character and you'd go out on missions and you can choose which companion characters to go out with you. And depending on who you chose, there were subtle changes in how things went. They'd react to things in different ways. Um, they would ch- change your tactics in combat. But what I decided to do instead was have them change tactics or rather change uh, how you'd solve various puzzles through the game. So I've always liked that kind of mechanic, and I always wanted to make a game like that. And I finally did that with Unavowed. And uh, in terms of story, I've always been into urban fantasy. I um, was always really inspired by the Dresden Files. I'm a huge fan of that. Stuff like Hellblazer, World of Darkness, um, Buffy, more more most recently The Magician, stuff like that. I adore urban fantasy so i've always wanted to make a urban fantasy game and i finally did i was i was wondering when when you start a project like the unavowed do you have a set of design principles in mind or do you kind of see where it goes throughout development bit of column a bit of column b i always have a vague idea of what i want and it always changes um I'm always second-guessing myself constantly, and so I'm always reevaluating what I'm doing and thinking about it and really making sure it's something I really, really like and I'm happy with before I move on. So, But the longer something stays in your head, the more you get sick of it. So that's where the danger kind of is, is that the, I come up with a great idea, but if it sits in my head for long enough, I'll begin to hate it and think it sucks. So <laughs> the trick is to kind of work around those neuroses and <laughs> get something out before my brain can tell me it's awful. When I was playing the game, I, saw, I felt an immediate connection to the characters. And uh, really, 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 um, I, I, I absolutely love the game. Um, how do you go about eliciting um, an emotive reaction from your audience and find that connection? Ah, there's no rhyme or reason, really. I just know that um, in order to create that connection with the audience, I need to create the character, uh, the connection myself. Um, if I am connected to these characters, then that is the foundation that I can build the connection to the audience. Um, like if I'm not connected or I have empathy with these characters that I'm creating, then I can't take that to the next step. Because if I, I can't, if I'm faking it, you'll be able to tell. But if I genuinely like the characters, then that's how I make you genuinely like them as well. Because you can't fake that. And so before I can do that, I put myself in a position where I have to like the characters and want to spend time with them and want to learn more about them and get to know them um, along with the audience. So that is where it's a bit esoteric, but 
that's where I always start from. Like if I like the characters, then I know I can I can spend time with them. You mentioned the characters there, and there's a rich cast of characters in the game. Um, how do you go about designing them and bringing them to life? I mean, mostly they're different. Um, they're kind of different aspects of my personality, I guess. The the one I bring back this empathy thing is the one character that people genuinely seem to like the most was Eli, and I guess because he's the closest to me. You know, I'm uh, I'm a dad. He's a dad. I'm kind of like I'm very much like I could get into his head very easily because he's the most like me. Um, Vicky is just me with no filter. <laughs> just like whatever I want to say that I shouldn't, I just give that line to Vicky. And that, that's, that's just her. Um, Mandana has a lot of my like love of New York and New York history and the weird thing, quirky things about the city. Whenever people profess their love and talking about New York, I give that to Mandana. Logan was maybe the hardest for me to reach. Um, but for him, it was always about, I guess I, I have a bit of an addictive personality, which is why I'm into video games. Um, so there's a bit of that in there. I'd say of, of the four, I connected with Logan the least. And he's the one that people often say is the least the least developed. And I, I do kind of agree. He got, of all the four, he was probably the least developed. Um, but I did have a lot of fun with him, especially his interactions with KK. Um, I So yeah, I, I guess what I try to, do is that I try to find different aspects of my own personality or thoughts or whatever that I want to give a voice to and that I create a character around that. And um, with the with the range of characters and I guess the specifically the number of characters you've got in your in your party, um, what kind of design challenges did that pose you? Uh, honestly, the the challenge was more the extra time that it took. The thing about Unavowed is that it doesn't do anything that I hadn't already done. It's just there was a lot more of it. I knew I could design, you know, a mission. The thing that Unavowed did that I hadn't done before was that I had to design five missions depending on, there were five unique party combinations and I wanted each of them to be unique and interesting. So I had to do every everything I had to do five times. And uh, that was the challenge, just the extra time that it took to just get everything done. All the extra testing, all the extra asset creation, that kind of stuff. So the challenge was, there was nothing I hadn't already done before. It just took more time and, you know, more money and more asset creation, that kind of stuff. So uh, from a pure design level, I could do it all. It was just a lot more of it. And when when you start the game, um, you offer the player the opportunity to pick their um, pick their name and mm -hmm. uh, and their backstory. Um, I, what's the benefits to you as a designer for that kind of blank slate character? Well, um, a number of things. Uh, mainly that I knew that the main character was going to be unvoiced, and when I made that decision, it enabled me to add a lot of extra things. I, I, I was I was able to uh, have a lot of that character customization um, that I couldn't have with a voiced character because that meant I would have – I mean the main character by itself would easily be triple uh, – would have tripled the voice acting budget just for – one of the genders, adding the second gender on top of that, that level of complexity would have just gone that much farther. But removing the voice acting um, from the main character enabled me to create all of that extra stuff. 
And if you're going to have a blank slate character, the best thing you can do is to just lean into that as much as possible. So I wanted to have the two genders. I wanted to have the um, the origin stories. And I wanted to have, like, I wanted you to be able to play however you wanted to play it. Um and have the character be a blank slate that you could superimpose yourself on. And the challenge of that was that all of the characters surrounding you had to kind of pick up the slack in terms of having strong characters to pal around with. Because your character was very blank, very deliberately. I had to make sure that the characters you palled around with were interesting enough to make that, um, to kind of make up for it. And um, with the with the backstories, you've got um, the, the choice of being an actor or a cop or a, a bartender. Mm-hmm. Um, th- does that um, introduce a, a bit more complexity to the to the game as well? Um, yeah, very much so. Uh, I had to keep track of all that stuff, and it kind of came up in various superficial ways. But my favorite part of um, this was kind of lifted directly from a game called Dragon Age Origins. I don't know if you've played that one, but it enabled you to do the origin thing, which is why I assume it was called Dragon Age Origins. And there were a whole bunch of them. And um, both me and my wife played the game at the same time, and we both took different origins. And what was amazing is that like, we'd go through the game, and like she would find a character from my origin that didn't recognize her character, and vice versa. And it was very rewarding to go through this game and see, oh, wow, like this happened because I made this choice at the beginning of the game. And that was incredibly rewarding. And I, I wanted to do that a lot with the origin stories, how there were certain things that happened throughout the game that would only have happened if you chose that one origin story. And I found a lot of people found that very rewarding, especially when they played a second time and they saw just how deep the rabbit hole went. Uh, and I was I was very happy that I pulled that off. So I I chose the actor um, for my my first playthrough. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to going back and maybe next so time. The, I'll ch- the actor is probably the one that uh, I I wouldn't say like the least. It's the one that I, I had to cut an element from it because originally there was another companion character. And oh. each of the origin stories was going to have, you know, one of the companion characters that you met. If you were a bartender, you would have met Logan. If you were a cop, you would have met Vicky. And the actor origin, originally uh, Calliope, the muse, she oh, was yeah. going to be a she was going to be a companion character. So that would have been the benefit of choosing actor. But since I des- I decided that the game was getting too complex, and I had to cut one of the companion characters. The actor was probably maybe slightly less satisfying than the others, which, you know, sorry about that. <laughs> you, you tantalized me. It makes me <laughs> want to go back even more. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, so I understand as well, you, you kind of tested early on. You, 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 made the, you, you made the prologue and then had, had a round of testing. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the benefits of that testing to you? And, and did, you, did you make any adjustments after that? Uh, some, yeah. Um, the benefit was, of course, I was able to get uh, eyes on it very early because it was a very it – w- it was a new kind of game in several ways. Like the unvoiced protagonist was a big thing that was very different. I wanted to make sure that uh, people enjoyed it, that they thought it was fun, that they – you know, like the characters. Um, the character of Mondana was a lot nastier in the first few drafts. She was a lot meaner. And um, the early, the testers at the early stages remarked on that. They're like, I don't like her. She's mean. And I lightened her up a lot 
I made her a lot less, a lot less taciturn. Um, and so I was able to kind of workshop the character that way, um, stuff like that. Uh, and also I was able to determine what worked and what didn't. There was a bit more, um, in the first mission had a bit more to it that ended up being very superfluous and no one liked it. So I got rid of it and, um, that kind of stuff. So testing early enables you to like get to those points a lot quicker, um, learning when something sucks at the beginning is a lot better than learning it sucks at the end. And um, we mentioned before, um, so it's been, we're nearly a year to the day since Unavowed came out. Um, how, do, how do you reflect on, on the game's first year? Um, no one's more surprised than me at how well it did. I am so happy. I mean, it, was, it is our runaway bestseller. It's done incredibly well. It's still being talked about. It was nominated for an IGF, which had never happened before. Um, that was really, really cool. It still sells really well a year later. Um, and people still are doing fan art. I get a, some people do, um, they do cosplay of the characters once in a while, which I find amazing. Um, I couldn't really ask for more. Uh, I am very happy with its reception. I'm glad people like it. Um, you know, it's hard to know how to follow that up. <laughs> so it's, it's been great. It's been great. I am, I'm very happy. Uh, I'm very happy with how it's turned out. Well, it, it's an absolutely fantastic game, and um, like I said, I, I I've been speaking to a lot of um, people, be um, players of adventure games or creators of adventure games over the last uh, mm. six to um, six to nine months, and they all recommended me play nice. Unavowed. Um, and <laughs> I'm uh, glad. Word of mouth is the best way that an indie like me, especially an indie, you know, niche. Uh, who works in such a small niche. It's the only way like we stay in business is through word of mouth like that. So uh, I'm very grateful. So for those who don't know, how can players get hold of Unavowed? Well, uh, you can get it on Steam. You can get it on our website, uh, wadgeteigames.com. That's Wadget with a J. It's on GOG. And it's also now on the Xbox Pass for Windows. It just went up there. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's- I... I, I definitely I definitely recommend it. So if you haven't played Unavowed, drop what you're doing right now. Go out, <laughs> go out there and get it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Um, so I want to um, shift slightly from Unavowed to um, Wadget Eye Games. Sure. And um, I was wondering if you could um, tell us a bit more about your process for coming up with games. Beats the hell out of me. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like people ask, so do you have like a software to keep track of things? Or well, you know, what do you use to for note taking? And I'm like, notepad i don't know um honestly no one's more surprised than me that i've stayed in business this long because i have no idea what i'm doing and i never have i just i I know i'm I'm, i sound so professional it's it's just banging my head against a wall until something happens i just take notes i just write things down and eventually something coalesces and i think yeah i can work with this and i just sort of workshop it and fiddle with it noodle around with my head i let it sit there and if i still like it at the end of the day, then I, I keep move. Then I move forward until I get to the point where I'm pretty much committed. Um, that that's sort of the trick. Is like I have to since games take so long to make, I have to be very sure that it's something that I can stick with for a long uh, period of time. If it's an idea that I'm not 
that I can't really get behind or I'm not happy with, and I'm sort of stuck and committed to it for several years, I'm going to be miserable. So above all, I want to make sure it's something that I'm very happy with and something that I'm excited to be working on. You mentioned there it sort of it takes quite some time um, to make games. Um, could you tell could you tell us a little bit more about the different phases of designing a game like Unavowed? I was thinking, for example, the the um, separation between writing, um, art, and uh, development. Well, fortunately, I have an artist who takes care of all that for me, uh, and we work very close together often. Um, uh, we often, sometimes his designs inspire something. Uh, I think Eli's fire reading actually came from a, a quick animation he did kind of uh, just for fun. Uh, I, I wanted a, an idle animation for Eli, and I thought, oh, maybe he's like juggling fireballs or something. And Ben decided, no, that's too clownish. Um, let's do this. And he had had him like levitating this fiery ball. And then I've, I saw that. I'm like, that's interesting. What exactly is he doing? And I came up with the idea of fire reading from that. And it was this wonderful synergy of, of back and forth. Often there, a lot of that works in tandem. And of course, the writing and design often go hand in hand. Um, I often like write the dialogue to try to get a feel for the scene and try to work out how, like, will this work? Like, how will the dialogue in this section work or what have you? Um, often they go they go in tandem. Uh, I try to make sure the narrative, the narrative and the story is the key thing. So I want, like, the narrative and the design to kind of feed into each other. There's always, like, a high-level aspect and a low-level. There's always, like, okay, the high-level is the feeling that I want you to get from it. Here's what I want to achieve. Here's what I want you to feel and think after you play it. And all the low level stuff is okay. How do I get you there? And those are like the individual mechanics and actions and things like that. So the high level stuff is, is in, the low level stuff is easy to change. The high level stuff is not. So I'll spend a lot of time trying to think of the high level stuff. Like what do I want you to get a, what do I want you to come away with after you've played um, a section or a, a chapter or an entire game or an entire series? I try to think about that stuff. And then once I have that, once I nail that, I can work on all the low level stuff to get you there. And it's often that high level stuff is that's the bottleneck most of the time is thinking of like the big picture of what, what it is that I want to achieve in the first place. And often that's the bottleneck. Once I break through that, the rest of it just kind of happens. It's mm. like some magic thing that happens. But it's determining that high-level stuff that's always the always the sticking point for me. It's always where I'm stuck. It's always where I'm most frustrated. It's always when, you know, I'm the worst person to live with, <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, hopefully that answers your question. What, what, what would you say are the benefits of being um, an independent company in the video games space? Well, I guess um, that I can take that time and um, kind of uh, approach things the way I want to approach them without anyone telling me what to do. Um, I guess maybe if I did have that oversight, maybe that would push me to like get this stuff done a little faster. But I, I don't. I th if you ask any of my previous bosses for any other job I had, um, they'll all probably tell you I never liked being told what to do. <laughs> and it's it's uh, so this job suits me well because I'm I can make my own choices and I can really make what I want to make. And at the end of the day, that's why I do this because I'm making what I want to be playing. I'm making the kind of games that I want to see out there, and um, no one can tell me that I can't. 
Um, except, you know, if people don't buy the games, then that, that maybe that, that'll be my answer. But I, the, the main benefit of being indie is that, yeah, I can just, I can do whatever I want and it's wonderful. And um, it, 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 it must make you really proud when um, something you've worked on um, f- for um, X number of years, you're really passionate about it, you love it, and then you release it into the world and uh, everyone else loves it as well, just like Unavowed. So it must make you really proud. Yes, it does. And the, the fear is, is that like the way the market is now, I don't know if you've heard the term indie-pocalypse, but it's definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always the fear that regardless of how good the game is, and even you know, up at, even at when I was at my most frustrated with the game, I, I knew it was good. I, had a f- I knew I had a good game. I liked it a lot. But would that be enough? And that's always the fear, that regardless of how good it is, how well it's reviewed, that people just won't play it because there are so many other things out there. And that's the uh, hard thing about being an indie now is that you're competing with with everyone else. Um, you're competing with not just the new games that are coming out, but every game that ever existed because they're all available on Steam right now. And mm-hmm. so it's it's very hard to break through that noise. And I'm so grateful that I did uh, that. Unavowed managed to like get through and reach people. Um, I'm so grateful and so happy how I did that. I couldn't tell you. I'm just a combination of luck and, you know, I have a following on social media. Now people evangelizing the game, like all the folks that, uh, you interviewed. Um, I'm so grateful to all of these things that enabled the game to get out there the way it has. Uh, so I'm able to stay in business and make more of them. I'm, I'm more grateful than I can say. And um, so Unavowed came out about a year ago. So you must be in the process of coming up with something new. Um, yeah, very slowly. <laughs> very, very slowly. Um, so um, if, if you can, and I, I understand if you can't, um, could you give us um, a, a glimpse of what's next for Wadget Eye Games? Well, um, we're working on a few things. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know how much you know about uh, my company, but we do publishing as okay. well as developing. I sometimes work with other developers to get their game out. Uh, the big thing right now is Nighthawks, which is being written by a guy named Richard Cobbett, uh, who's a former journalist and a good friend of mine, an amazing writer. Uh, he's done work on stuff like The Long Journey Home and um, Not Tonight and a, a bunch of things. And he approached me with this uh, with this idea, with this a vampire game, actually, uh, a kind of a sunless sea meets vampire bloodlines thing. And mm. it's, it's really good. Um, we had a, he had a Kickstarter for that last year and then approached me about publishing it. And I said, okay, so, um, we've been working on that and that's been going very well. Um, very slowly we're working on a sequel to 2005's Technobabylon, oh. uh, with James Dearden. He's working on that. And I personally am uh, working on uh, something that I haven't entirely nailed down yet. So um, I don't feel comfortable saying anything about it right now. Oh, that's all good. Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tantalizing uh, nugget of, uh, <laughs> of information there. Um, and um, I wanted to shift a little bit from, from your company um, to you, Dave. And um, I was wondering, uh, how did you get into the games industry in the first place? How did I get into it? Oh, uh, well, <clears throat> uh, I would say the origin isn't the happiest story. Uh, I was, it was 2001. It was September, and I live in New York. 
you know what was going on back then. Yeah. I was um, I had been laid off from this awful corporate job, and I was so uh, that all happened. I kind of was you know obviously thinking a lot, feeling a lot of feelings, and was trying to find a way to vent and just sort of work my way through it creatively. And I discovered Adventure Game Studio, and I made a little game in the system, and I put it on this forum. Uh, the Adventure Game Studio Forum, and people seemed to like the game, so I made more of them. And about five years later, in 2006, I decided that I enjoyed it too much to do anything else for a living, and I thought of, uh, well, I've, I have money saved up. I'm going to try selling them now, and I did. Uh, I released The first game I sold was a game called The Shiva, and I've been doing it ever since. It's now... Uh, 13 years later, and I'm still doing it. Do you have any advice for aspiring game developers? Um, I will say start small if you can. I, I mean, I, I always hate this question because all of my advice is 13 years out of date. Because I know what I did. I started small and kind of organically grew. Um, but that was like 13 years ago when there were so few games available. Uh, mm-hmm. And the indie scene was very, very small. So what worked for me back then um, doesn't necessarily work now. And so I I never know what to say. I will say that, like, social media is very key. Like, make sure if you're not talking about your game, start talking about your game. Like, you need, you, if you need to be excited about it and make that infectious. Because um, people, can, people can see insincerity. And if you're insincere, like no one's going to believe that no one's going to like want to um, be involved with your stuff. So you definitely need to sell yourself a lot more than you did back when I first started. Um, so and above all, you have to love what you're doing. I would say love what you're doing, because if you don't, you know, what's the point of doing it? Well, that, that's that's great advice. Um, and. You, you touched on it there, and the games industry is it's changed so much over the last yeah. five. I mean, five years um, with the emergence of um, things like um, streaming video games, uh, YouTube and Twitch, uh, etc. Yeah. Um, what what has the biggest change been um, that you've seen that's kind of improved your life as a game developer? <sighs> the biggest thing that's improved my life—that's a good question. Um, in the last five years, or just yeah. Know? Or just, yeah, um, just in general, I guess. I don't know. I mean, the fact that I, uh, Twitter is like the best thing for marketing. I just tweet about something and like I can just push stuff on Twitter and usually the word gets out uh, because I've kind of organically grew, you know, my followers or whatever you call it um, over the decade I've been in business. And so at this point, like it's the best way to reach the fans and to kind of reach more fans. So um, social media and that kind of stuff has been a huge boon for me and being able to to do what I do. It's just so great that I can just, you know, tweet something and then like PC Gamer writes about it. You know, it's insane. I did a jam game about two months ago and I wrote about it on Twitter and like, yeah, PC Gamer wrote about it. Like that never happened. Um, that never happened before. <laughs> stuff like that. Like, so I, I love that. Um, that has been a huge boon for me. The fact that it's the barrier to entry is a lot lower, but the sheer amount of competition is significantly higher. So there, there's also that it's a double-edged sword. Like when I first started the, the difficulty was getting on steam. 
Like it was getting noticed and getting on Steam was like the hugest, like the biggest hurdle. Once you were on Steam, like before like 2013 or so, if you got on Steam, that was like, you know, you were set because you were on that front page of Steam for like several weeks and you were set. Now it's easy to get on Steam, but the hardship now is to get noticed on Steam. So like same coin, different side, I guess. Um, so with every like, with every leap forward in terms of like lowering the barrier to entry, there's always a step backward because you know the, the easier it becomes, the more people are doing it. So now like um, the fact that I, I'm I'm fiddling with Unity now and I can I was able to make a 3D game in um, in Unity for the jam in two weeks is amazing. But that also means that anyone else could do it too, <laughs> and so I'm competing with them. Is, is there anything out there at the moment, be it uh, another video game or uh, something else in entertainment, um, that, that inspires you? I mean, there's various authors that I like, and just the way they craft stories has always been a huge inspiration. Uh, someone like Lawrence Block or Jim Butcher or Terry Pratchett. Um, I kind of adore the way they, they approach characters and stories and just the way they structure things. Um, it's hard to say. I, I've been kind of very... Um, there's a few uh, number of narrative game, games I played over the last year. Um, I kind of got into um, a bunch of these narrative-based games like Oxenfree and Gone Home and Firewatch, and I've been playing them. And what's sort of fascinating about them is is how they take all the rules that I've written for myself and they set them on fire. Like they just break all of the rules that I've made for what makes a game good, and the games are still incredibly engaging. And seeing how they break all those rules has been kind of amazing. And so that's been uh, kind of fascinating for me and seeing how I kind of can work that into my own work and, uh, and seeing what I can create from that. Do you have uh, much time to play games these days? I try to. Um, a few hours maybe at night if uh, I'm feeling up to it after uh, we put the kid to bed. Um, I, I still go through games. I just go through them a lot slower than I used to. I'm currently playing Subnautica. And I'm digging that one. It's uh, what I love about it is that it's a um, kind of open worldish crafting survival game, but it's handcrafted. Like there is nothing procedurally generated about it, which I, I really like um, because when I find something, it it feels like an experience that was created for me, and I'm I enjoy that a lot. Um, have you come across uh, the Outer Wilds at all? I hear it's really good, but yeah. I have not. I've uh, haven't gotten around to it yet. I hear it's very, very hard to get into, but once it clicks, it's amazing. Yeah, I, it's it's something that I, I that kind of came out of nowhere um, for me. I, I heard about it, and um, it really got its kind of hooks into me. So mm. if you if you get any time over the next few months, I, I recommend that one. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that that's definitely on the list. Well, Dave, um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today um, about Unavowed, um, your company, uh, and about yourself and your experience. I really appreciate um, that uh, you taking the time to, to talk to us on This Week in Video Games. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for, uh, thank you for talking to me. So that was me there talking to Dave Gilbert from Wadget Eye Games and thank you once again to Dave for taking the time to talk to me and good luck with all your future projects. Next up, let's get into my review of Unavowed. You are possessed 
by some kind of demon. It made you do things. One year has passed since your possession. You were wanted by the police for many violent crimes. But we can help. We can give you a new identity, a new life, a new purpose. Welcome to the Unavowed, my friend. Trust me, your life will never be the same. Magic is real. You know this, and you're part of it now. You were clearly meant for this life. It requires difficult choices, as you are no doubt discovering. How did it come to this? Standing out in the rain, being exercised by two strangers, a strange woman holding a sword and a man with fire coming out of his fingertips. Unavowed has an attention-grabbing start to a wonderful adventure game. Unavowed starts with you on the roof, the rain pounding down as Mendana and Eli are trying to help you with their supernatural abilities. As a player, you get to pick your character name and whether you're male or female. As well as getting to choose who you are, you get to choose a backstory, whether you're a cop, a bartender, or an actor. This gives you a sense of ownership over the character and allows you to immerse yourself into the lead role. With the help of your friends, once you're rid of your inner demon, you join a secret society of supernatural detectives called the Unavowed. They protect New York, searching for clues and solving mysteries, and have been doing so for thousands of years. You've been possessed for a year, and the Unavowed has been on your trail for some time. You've now escaped the evil clutch of the demon. It's time to find out what he's been up to all this time, and trying to discover the motivation. The Unavowed is made up of Eli Beckett, a former accountant who became a fire mage, and Mandana, half-jinn, half-human, daughter of Kalash, the leader of the Unavowed. Together you search and try and find the source of the supernatural occurrences that have been increasing over the last 12 months. Kalash is concerned that these occurrences are becoming more common, and New York is under threat, so he sends you out on a recruitment drive to find more members of the team. Over the first few missions, you meet Vicky, a local cop who's been ostracised by a community who claim Vicky's gone mad, and Logan, a recovering alcoholic and someone who can speak to ghosts. Logan also has a spirit guide named KK. As you help them out, they decide to join the Unavowed and help you out on your missions. The mechanics in Unavowed are similar to that of other adventure games. You speak to a rich cast of characters, find clues, collect items and solve a series of puzzles that open up the narrative in front of you. What sets the Unavowed apart from other games is the structure, the silent protagonist and the team-based mechanics. Each chapter of the game is focused around a part of New York City, from Brooklyn, Chinatown, Staten Island and Wall Street. You'll wake up, walk around your home base and learn more about your crew, their history, what motivates them, which all feeds into the rich tapestry the game builds around you. Once you've had your team meeting and you've learnt your new objective, you pop onto the subway and select your party members for the next mission. Mixing and matching abilities are useful as different skills come into play. Logan's useful because he and KK can interact with ghosts, whereas Eli can fire read, an ability to read anything that's been burnt in the past. Vicky's got her cop connections and Mandana, well, 
she's got a sword which is more useful than you might imagine uh, being able to open things as well as being used to threaten people along the way Dave Gilbert from Wedget Eye Games take inspiration from mid-era Bioware games uh, with this mixing and matching structure allowing the player to take on different party members and solve puzzles in a number of ways I can only imagine the complexities this must have introduced to creating the game but what he has constructed is a wonderful, cohesive experience which doesn't feel forced or knitted together It's a brilliant narrative with a wide range of cast members who you feel invested in and root for The structure of the game is one of solving mysteries You're trying to figure out how and why you were possessed by a demon and what happened in that last year since that terrible event in my playthrough, I chose the actor backstory, and the game starts with me outside the theatre as a local play has fallen through. The director's gone off the rails, upsetting the other actors in the play, and won't come out of his dark, dank office. On closer inspection, he's under a spell and can only be brought out of his trance by stopping his manic typing at the keyboard. Flicking on the light, you reveal his muse, Calliope, sitting there inspiring him. He offers you a mysterious book and from the pages jumps a demon right into your soul and takes over. You murder the director and act a friend and set off on a year of rampage. As you travel around New York speaking to other characters and solving the mysteries of the past, you uncover details of your backstory as well as the other supernatural characters. You've clearly been busy in this past year. There's the Merman General, the Dragon, and the sad story of a drug addict who burnt down a children's home whilst casting a spell. It's a clever story, woven together with such care and vivid imagination. The most important thing is a fantastic gaming experience. The puzzles in the game are clever, which take a keen eye to figure out. There's a puzzle later in the game involving a police station and KK, which will surprise you and make you smile for sure. I don't want to spoil any details, but the puzzles are satisfying and they'll keep you guessing without blocking your progress. Lean on your crew to give you hints if you get stuck. And I was left with an immense sense of satisfaction when playing through and ultimately figuring out the way forward in the unavowed. The art style in the game is beautiful, with Ben Chandler creating a version of New York that's perfect for the game. The rain beats down more often than not and he captures the atmosphere and the scale of the city. It's wonderfully painted cityscapes mixed in with the supernatural elements make this a feast for the eyes. Unavowed is a great point-and-click adventure game with unique elements that bring a fresh feel to the genre whilst being familiar at the same time. Wadjet-Eye Games have done a wonderful job with the writing, the world-building and the pacing in the game which always leaves you wanting more each time you play. So the game was released by Wadjet-Eye Games, it's available on PC and it was originally released on the 8th of August 2018 and I gave the game a final score of 87 out of 100. So what did you think of Unavowed? Let me know on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or tweet me at TWIVGpodcast on Twitter. I also posted my entire playthrough on YouTube so if you want to check out the game head on over there, I'll post the link in the show notes. As I mentioned during my chat with Dave Gilbert, I definitely recommend picking up this game for yourself. But if you get stuck on the puzzles and need a hint, then head on over to YouTube and check out my Unavowed playlist. So if you're enjoying This Week in Video Games podcast, then head on over to iTunes and leave us a nice review. It really helps get the word out about the podcast, so if you've got access to iTunes, then I'd really appreciate a nice review. And don't forget, This Week in Video Games has a YouTube channel that goes alongside with the podcast. 
The YouTube channel's got the entire archive of the podcast, as well as dedicated reviews, interviews, and features. So search This Week in Video Games on YouTube and subscribe today for all the latest content. And if you want to see anything specific on YouTube, send me an email to podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. It'd be great to hear from you. Next up, let's take a look at the news of the week. So first up in the news this week, Galarian Pokemon have been revealed for Pokemon Sword and Shield. So the Pokemon Company International and Nintendo revealed details earlier this week about the regional forms of Pokemon found in Pokemon Sword and Shield. New Pokemon evolutions and information about the rivals that trainers will face was also revealed. So first up, we got news about Galarian Pokemon. So some of the Pokemon have been adapted to the unique environment of one specific region, and they don't look or behave like Pokemon from the same species found elsewhere. Regional forms of the Pokemon that can be found in the Gala region are known as Galarian forms. We've got Galarian Weezing, it's got a nice little top hat. We've got Galarian Zigzagoon, and we've got Galarian Linoon as well. We've also got Galarian form evolutions, so... Living in the unique environment of the Gala region, some of the regional forms of Pokemon have developed unique evolutions unseen in any other region. So we've got Obstagoon, who looks a lot like Gene Simmons. Just uh, go to Google and type in Obstagoon, and uh, you'll find, I think you'll find that Gene Simmons came out and said he was very flattered that the Pokemon Company and Nintendo have created a Pokemon that looks like him. <laughs> We've also got form-changing Pokemon as well. So some Pokemon can change their form, often because of effects of certain items or their own abilities. So some of these form changes don't just change the Pokemon's appearance, but also affect the types of its moves or even change its ability. So we've got Morpeko. He looks like a really cool Pokemon. Looking forward to uh, seeing what form he changes into. Then we've got the rivals of the Gala region. So many trainers from across the region take part in the gym challenge. It's a competition in which participants face off the various gyms of the gala with the hopes of becoming the champion. So two rivals that trainers were competing on their first adventures are Marnie and Beedy. So Marnie's rivals got a competitive side and together with her partner Morpeko, she aims to become the champion of the gala region. She's got many passionate fans due to her calm and calculated battle strategies. Beedy's a rival who's skilled at Pokemon battles and has got the pride to match. So he joined the gym challenge having received his endorsement from Rose, the chairman of the Galar Pokemon League. While he looks like he's aiming to be champion, it seems like he's got other objectives as well. So we'll hopefully find out more when the game comes out in November. Then we've got Team Yell. So Team Yell is a group of troublemakers who seem to appear everywhere and attempt to get their way in every opportunity. They want nothing more than for Marnie to become champion, so they try and get in the way of other challenges. They take over hotel lobbies, prevent challenges from accessing transportation, and even shout and distract opponents during battle. So whenever Marnie battles, these Team Yell grunts are quick to appear, showing their support with Marnie print tails and horns. So watch out for Team Yell there, they look like they're going to be a pain in the butt. And finally, we've got Poker Jobs help Pokemon grow. In the Gala region, people and Pokemon often work together. Corporations and universities request help with Pokemon through Poker Jobs. Trainers can check for available Poker Jobs at the Rotomy in Pokemon centers and be able to send Pokemon directly from their boxes to any job that they accept. Trainers be able to find certain Pokemon types as suited for specific jobs. Uh, so, and the experience gained while on the job will help the Pokemon grow, and trainers may even receive rare items as rewards. 
A lot of news there about Pokemon with the Galarian forms, Team Yell and Poker Jobs as well. So lots to look forward to with Pokemon coming out this November. Next up, Ninja reaches half a million subs on Mixer. Ninja moved from Twitch to Mixer last week and has since reached 500,000 subscribers on his new platform. So Ninja kicked off his first stream on Mixer from Lollapalooza and has instantly become the biggest streamer on the Microsoft-owned platform. Ninja's move to Mixer is big news in the world of streaming and it's the first multi-million dollar exclusivity deal in the streaming space, possibly opening up opportunities for more streamers to do the same. It's good business for Mixer as Ninja will bring in new audiences as well as new opportunities such as Ninja themed Xboxes and there's also the Halo opportunity as well. Ninja made his name years back with Halo before he made it big in Fortnite and there'll be likely a big tie-in with a new Halo Infinite coming out next year. With the new consoles coming, there's no doubt Ninja will play a central figure in the promotion of the new Xbox consoles coming later in 2020. So Mixer is much smaller than Twitch. However, if Microsoft continue to flex their financial muscles, then maybe more streamers will be tempted over to the platform. In a world where streamers' earnings fluctuate based on popularity, games and other factors, exclusivity contracts could be an attractive option for streamers looking for a bit of security. So good luck to Ninja, and congrats on the half a million subscribers. So next up, we've got more Pokemon news with the Pokemon Centre opening up in London this October. So the Pokemon Company International has announced its pop-up Pokemon Centre in the Westfield Shopping Centre in Shepherd's Bush, London, this October for the launch of Pokemon Sword and Shield. The pop-up's going to be available from October 18th until November 18th, 2019, and fans will be able to purchase a range of Pokemon products, including exclusive items not found anywhere else. The pop-up Pokemon Centre is paying tribute to the United Kingdom, which inspires the Gala region in the new Pokemon Sword and Shield. Pokemon Sword and Shield is set for worldwide release on November 15th, 2019 on Nintendo Switch. Next up in the news, Apex Legends Solos mode is coming next week, and Respawn is adding a Solos mode to Apex Legends for a limited time starting next week in conjunction with a new event called the Iron Crown Collection. The event's going to run from the 13th until the 27th of August, and players will be able to play solo. There's been calls from fans in Apex Legends to introduce a Solos mode since the game was launched, and Respawn has resisted until now. We don't know if this is a test for a future update or if this is merely a limited time event and then that's it. However, it's good to see Respawn listening to feedback and testing out new ideas. The game is designed around a three-player team so it'll be interesting to see the audience reaction to this event. So what do you think about the new solos mode in Apex Legends? Let me know on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or tweet me at TWIVGpodcast on Twitter. And finally in the news this week, the Google live stream Stadia Connect has been announced. So Google has announced another live stream, Stadia Connect, for Google Stadia, and they're going to unveil a bunch of new games for the platform. Stadia Connect is going to be on Monday the 19th of August 2019 at 6pm BST and 10am PT. The event coincides with Gamescom 2019, and the stream apparently is going to be all about the games. Google's last announcement was before E3 and they discussed pricing and a few launch details. The upcoming stream will likely detail a launch date, launch games and hopefully a tech demo. Fans have since come back from E3 and reports on latency have been mixed. So I imagine Google will want to come out and demonstrate the power of Google Stadia. Well that's it for the news this week. Next up, let's take a look at the charts.
So at number 10 this week, we've got Minecraft. That's up one place from 11. Number 9 this week, up three places from 12 last week, is Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Then at 8 this week, it's Wolfenstein Youngblood, which is down six places from number 2. Number 7 this week, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is up one place from 8. And number 6 this week, it's Grand Theft Auto 5, which is up one place from 7. New in this week at number 5, it's Madden NFL 20. And holding steady at number 4, it's Super Mario Maker 2. Holding steady at number 3, it's Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. And up three places from 5 to 2, it's FIFA 19. And holding there at number 1 again this week, it's Fire Emblem Three Houses. Congratulations to the Fire Emblem team for holding on to that number 1 spot in the charts. Well that's it for the charts this week. Next up, let's take a look at what we've got coming up next week. So coming up next week, on August the 13th, we've got Friday the 13th, the game Ultimate Slasher Edition that's coming out on Nintendo Switch. Then next week as well, we've got No Man's Sky Beyond that's coming out on PC, PS4 and Xbox One. On the 16th of August, we've got Emma, Lost in Memories that's coming out on PC and Zeus Begins, also coming out on PC. Well, that's it for this week's episode. If you want to get involved in the show, then email me on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions, your comments and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'm also available on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and Instagram to search This Week in Video Games on your favourite platform and join in the conversation. And if you want to support This Week in Video Games content, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. In exchange for supporting the show, you get shout-outs on the show, Discord access, exclusive Patreon content polls, special design podcast scripts, and stickers. So if you enjoy This Week in Video Games, then sign up to Patreon. It'd be great to see you there. So thanks once again for hanging out with me and chatting about video games. I hope you have a great week. I'll talk to you next weekend. But for now, I'll see you soon.